And, um, and, and in addition to that, so that's one component of it, and the second component is, in return for those take permits, the state and federal government will, will give local agencies a 50, uh, they, in return for that take permit, the local agencies agree to a 50-year conservation strategy for the endangered species that the plan covers. So why is this better than the way it currently exists? That's why I was asking you guys if you know what mitigation is. Define mm -hmm. take for that. Yes, can. So, and that will be part of my mitigation story. So, um, and also I should mention that the Yellow Habitat Conservancy is a joint powers agency. It is composed of all four cities in Yolo County and the county of Yolo. So that's the city of Winters, the city of Woodland, the city of Davis, and the city of West Sacramento, and then the county of Yolo, which is its own governmental agency. How many of you, this is a question I'd love to ask you who are in Davis, how many people have been to Woodland? Okay, that's good. Winters? Mm -hmm. West Sacramento? Okay, so you guys are well-traveled in the county. That's excellent. How about how about uh, the little towns that are in the old county? Knights Landing? Oh, fewer. Okay, Madison? Esparto? So few. Okay, so the, the county of Yolo is uh, it's about 650,000 acres. It's about 200,000 people, and the majority of the people are in the unincorporated area. So the um, most of a significant amount of agricultural land and habitat outside of the incorporated cities. I've learned about that in some of the other classes. That gives a plan like mine a lot of opportunities um, and a lot of uh, potential for habitat conservation. So why is a plan like this better than um, the, current, um, the current process? So right now, if you are building a bridge or building a road or have a big development project in West Sacramento or in Davis, like the cannery, some of you have probably seen the cannery going in in Davis, that's a 38-acre development project. Uh, under the current process, if you um, affect any endangered species habitat or threatened species habitat, you're required to go to the state and federal government and get permits. And each project has to go and get their own permits. And if they've affected habitat, they have to do their own mitigation. So, um, and, and take, as Steve was mentioning, is essentially that conversion of a habitat to uh, another use, or it depends on which law you're using. It can also mean actual um, death or harm to a, uh, a species. But in general, the way mitigation works in California is that if you convert an acre of habitat um, to an urban use, then you have to mitigate for that use. And right now, without this plan, it's occurring on a very piecemeal basis. So. Like the cannery is a great example, it's probably what you see in Davis. 38 acres, they're like, what can we do? We need to mitigate for 38 acres of spines and talk habitat, and they're going to go out and find a mitigation bank wherever they can to mitigate for that impact. Well, how this plan changes things is that it looks at what all of the development activities are in every single city's general plan, in, every single, in the county general plan that includes Dunnigan, Knights Landing, Madison, Esparta, all those little towns that you've seen for 50 years, and it says, I have to go to all the elected officials in the county and all the planning directors and say, how much development are you planning in the county? Because I'm going to cover all of it at one time under one permit. And so that's a very, for those of you, I think a lot of you guys probably use GIS because landscape architecture is really into that. So GIS is a really significant component of a planning process like this because you have to gather all this data about all the development that's occurred over 50 years. You put all that um, data into the plan, you estimate how much impact over time is going to be occurring on that species habitat, and then you um, conserve habitat um, to make up for those acres. And what this plan does, which makes people from environmental groups like it locally, is that it goes beyond the mitigation requirements that would occur without the plan and makes the cities and the county 
actually conserve additional acres for the habitat. So the state and federal government and the local environmental groups love this plan because they're getting more conservation than they would under the status quo. And um, the developers and the cities and the county like this plan because they get one permit for all their activities over 50 years. Does that, I know it's a complicated concept. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, got to know. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so that's a great question. So there's a couple of, um, I'm sure I don't use this completely. Um, so uh, you can do two things. One is the amount of, we call it take coverage, which is the conversion of habitat to urban use, can be used anywhere in the county. So if West Sacramento decides that they're not going to grow and Davis decides it's going to grow more than they anticipate, you could trade it off and move it over into Davis. If every single city in the county, like let's say there was just a mass change in policy in Yolo County and you know there was they wanted to triple in size, you would have to seek a plan amendment and that means you would have to go back to the state and federal government and you would have to say, we want to add more acres, we'll do more conservation return, will you let us do it? Sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. Personally, I don't, would not want to go through that because this plan has taken 20 years to get to this point and we're two years away. <laughs> so they, they even, when anyone even says amendment, I get a little... I get a little a little, a little nervous, but um, but that is those would be the solutions. Either you move the coverage that you have around to meet the changing needs, or you you seek a plan that. So the twelve species that we're covering are these twelve. So we've got mostly birds, and we've got a snake and a beetle and a salamander. And the ones that drive our conservation are the swanky fox, which is in the far corner, the giant garter snake, which is down here, and I'll talk a little bit more about each of these species during the presentation. Um, the tiger salamander, which is up in the Dunnigan Hills, if you've ever driven north to um, Oregon and you're still in Yolo County and you see all these funny hills on the left-hand side, those are the Dunnigan Hills, very few trees. And the elderberry beetle, which is down on some of our, our creeks in Yolo County. And the other species are um, important to the plant, but they don't drive the conservation as much as those major um, species do. So to get you guys started and sort of oriented to, you guys can all see this, um, into what Yolo County is like right now. This is, um, I'm gonna go over a number of the different semi-natural and natural communities that are currently found in the county. So this is just a snapshot in time of agriculture in the county. Um, this area right here that's showing up as taller, this is primarily the valley floor, for those of you who know the county very well. Um, this dips down into the Sacramento San Joaquin Delta, which is where the San Joaquin River and the Sacramento River meet. Yolo County has as one of its borders the Sacramento River, which is one of the crossroads in Sacramento. You see that, you know, welcome Sacramento sign or welcome Yolo County sign. Cuda Creek forms another border, border, and then we've got Cash Creek down the middle that goes all the way up there um, into the Cape Bay um, Valley. And then we have another, a lot of other uh, sloughs and tributaries as well. As I said earlier, agriculture is a really important part of the county's heritage as well as its um, policies going forward. We've directed a lot of growth to cities to protect a lot of this ag. And the species that my habitat conservation plan protects have adapted over time to use this agricultural habitat. So back in the day, which Steve could probably describe um, more than me. Oh, that's a good one. oh, is that a pointer? Laser pointer. Oh, did I press button? No. Oh, that'd be helpful. Thank you. Oh, okay, great. So this is Cash Creek right here. This is Beauty Creek. And this is the Sacramento River. Um, and then cities, just to orient you, this is the city of West Sacramento, this is Davis, where we are right now, here's Woodland, and Winters is down here, and all those little towns I talked about, um, Dunnigan, Zabora, Yolo, Knights Landing. Um, and then we have the Cape Bay Valley, where Brooks, Window, Rumsey, Esparto, Madison, those are our little tiny incorporated towns. 
So Yellow County is very dependent on agriculture. The species have adapted to an agriculture environment, even though historically um, Yellow County was primarily grasslands and oak woodlands and they forage on the natural grasslands habitat. Now, um, species like the Swainson Talk use the alfalfa fields and the irrigated hay, and every time that they irrigate or every time that they cut the hay, all the um, prey runs out and the hawks eat it, so they sort of adapted to that type of an environment. In fact, they've, um, the Swainson Talk in particular is a threatened species under the California Endangered Species Act, and there's 300 nesting pairs in the county, and that's made it one of the central locations for recovery of that particular species, and it's primarily because of the agriculture that we have here. We also block other kinds of habitat here for species. We have grasslands habitat. So earlier I was mentioning the Diamond Hills, which is um, Yorktown Diamond. And it's this area, if you're driving up I-5 on your way to Oregon, you look out to the left, I encourage you'll see a combination of orchards going in. There's a lot of orchards and vineyards conversion in the county. And you'll see a lot of um, open grasslands. This grasslands habitat here provides habitat for the California tiger salamander. In the areas between the hills, there's often um, small ponds of water, and that's what they use as habitat, as well as some of the rodent burrows that are in the, the hill area. And then we also have some grasslands in the foothill. If you ever driven up the Cape Bay Valley, you know that it changes dramatically from being flat farmland to rolling hills and oak woodland. And some of those um, early foothills are the grasslands habitat in the county. We also have um, some significant riparian and wetland habitat. Obviously, it's not what we had historically. Some of you have probably have classes that show how the Sacramento River used to be, uh, you know, wetlands 20 miles wide on either side, and now we have these levees that keep it all in, so we've lost 95% of our wetlands habitat. Well, Yellow County is hanging on to a little bit of that historic wetlands habitat. Uh, most of it's managed, but a big chunk of it is in the Yolo Bypass. Is everybody familiar with the Yolo Bypass? So the old bypass is um, used for flight control primarily, but it's evolved over time into multiple uses. It's farmed, it's wetlands habitat. And it turns out that this, the rice farms and the wetlands habitat that are in the bypass are great habitat for the giant garter snake, which is uh, listed as endangered under the State and Federal Endangered Species Act. The giant garter snake doesn't move very far, so it's really dependent on these corridors of habitat. Um, we're working with a plan that's up above us to create, you know, a continuous quarter of giant garter snake habitat over time. Um, but as you can see, we don't have a lot of riparian wetland habitat, and that's sort of another indicator that even in a place like Yola, which didn't develop, there's still really significant losses of that habitat over time. We're hoping to get a little bit of a back through plan. Um, this is woodland and forest habitat, so this is getting into the, the foothills, um, or the, the hills in the Cape Valley. And, um, and this is uh, not an area where there's a lot of the species that we cover in our plan, but it's still important to know that it exists. Um, it's so important, in fact, to a number of the local environmental groups in Yolo County that the Yolo Habitat Conservancy has agreed to do what we call a local conservation plan, which will cover um, some of the species and identify priority actions for the species that live in this area and aren't covered by our plan. Um, finally, we have um, scrub and shrubland habitat, and that's really found in just some small corners of the county and continues on into some of our neighboring counties. And again, this is not where our species are located, but still an important element. And this is one of my favorite slides because um, people think uh, that the Yellow Habitat Conservancy coming in to do habitat conservation planning, oh, that must mean that you're the only organization in the county doing habitat conservation planning. Well, actually, we're not new. We're just building on existing efforts that have just been part of Yale County's um, structure for 150 years. 
Um, this is a map showing all of the lands in the county that have already been conserved without any effort by the conservancy. A couple of these are our habitat conservation easements, but the majority of them are protected by other organizations. So uh, this is over 100,000 acres of land in Beale County that's already been protected. And as I said earlier, there's about 650,000 acres total in the county. So this is a pretty significant amount of acres that are already under protection. And so the old Habitat Conservancy um, doesn't want to be a new entity that's um, you know, replacing existing efforts. So we're working very closely to develop partners with the organizations that have protected all this land so that we can make sure that we just add to their efforts versus you know, being in conflict with their efforts. And we're focusing our strategy on protecting lands that's adjacent to some of those existing properties. So this is um, covered activities. So our plan, like I said, it's not just a conservation plan, it's a permit under the Federal and State Endangered Species Act. And so that all the development activities, public infrastructure and private, and private development will be covered by this permit. So where is that development located? As I said earlier, it's mostly located in the, this is this slide represents a build out of all of the general plans in the county. So the city of West Sacramento will fill in this gray area. The city of Davis will fill in this area. The city of Woodland will see this gray area. The winters will fill up that gray area. And then the orange represents the unincorporated county. The county of Yola wants to build a town in Dunnigan. Right now it's only about 1,000 people. And they want to make this a town of about 30,000. So we're covering all that development in our plan. Um, Esparto, Madison, those will all get a little bigger as well. And at Nice Landing will also grow a little bit. So this represents, this map essentially represents all the development that the permits will cover. So in the future, and I'll explain the process, um, rather than having to get separate permits for each you know, development project, each bridge, each uh, road, they'll come to the Conservancy and they'll get their Endangered Species Act permits from us. And in return for that, we have to report back to the agencies on our efforts to conserve habitat to make up for all of this habitat loss. And again, the benefit of having one agency doing all the habitat conservation is that we get to coordinate it so that it's, um, it provides the biggest benefit to the species. If it happens in that piecemeal fashion that I talked about earlier, then you get, you get pieces that you know, provide a little habitat here, a little habitat here, whereas if you work all together, and coordinate all that mitigation, then you can uh, have additional benefits to the species. So this is the application process. It's very boring, a big part of habitat conservation planning. I don't want anyone who's interested in going to this inter-career, even like partially needs to know there's very, very boring parts to habitat conservation planning. Lots of paperwork, lots of spreadsheets, lots of financial transactions. It's not all like going out to ranches and hiking around and, and seeing how you can you know, help the species or otherwise you know, make the world a better place. There's a lot of really boring stuff. Um, an application process is one of those. So if um, an applicant wants to rebuild a bridge, for example, they need to come to, um, they need to determine first whether we actually covered them in our plan. Then they need to conduct mapping. This is where GIS skills come in handy for any of you who work for consulting firms in the future. You could be doing some of this work. Um, and they ask for planning surveys that then get. Um, and then they have to come to us with those surveys and we'll say, hey, we want you to minimize the impact of your project on habitat. So we have what we call avoidance and minimization measures, a really wonderful government term. But what it means is that you are going to um, take action, like buffers from your project to special habitat areas that will minimize the impact of your project on habitat. And we as the Habitat Conservancy will advise you, the applicant, on what to do to minimize the impact on, of your project on habitat. 
Um, once they've minimized the, the impact to the extent that they can, then they'll incorporate, um, well, they'll incorporate those changes into the project itself. They'll submit a full application package. We'll say, okay, yes, that project is okay to be permitted by our plan. Um, they'll pay us fees, and I'll get to that in a minute because that's where we get our money for conservation by charging everybody a lot of money. And, um, and then they have to, um, after they've gotten the fees, they have to do additional surveys, again, more work for consulting firms, and apply the avoidance and minimization measures that we agreed to earlier in the process, and then finally, they can build their project. The idea here of this process is that it could take as little as two months, whereas sometimes when you're going to state federal agencies right now for a permit, it can take uh, a year or more to get it done. So the idea is that developers and public agencies will be happy because their permit and their projects will happen faster, and the species will be happy because the conservation is going to be all as happy as they can be given that they are losing habitat. The conservation is going to be um, coordinated in a way that, that best meets the needs of those species and from a scientific, and, is, and the plan is developed from a biological and scientific uh, basis. Okay, so this is the effects on natural communities. So like I said, um, we have to, in order to do this big, huge plan for 50 years, we have to do a lot of data gathering and we have to do a lot of analysis in GIS. It's not just actually creating the nice maps, it's also um, analyzing what the effects of those covered activities in the cities and the county are on activities. So over 50 years, in the county of Yolo, um, over 12,000 acres we converted from habitat to urban uses. Sounds like a lot, but in places like San Joaquin County in 50 years, they're converting 100,000 acres of habitat to urban uses. So actually in Yolo County, it sounds like a lot over 50 years, but remember again, we're a 650,000 acre county, so it seems like a decent amount of the county. Um, it's actually much less development than is going to occur in other counties, which is why the state and federal wildlife agencies are so focused on making sure this plan happens in Yolo. They want to see as much conservation occurs while the political and um, elected officials in the county are still supportive of it. Because that way you lock it in permanently and people in the future can't change it. So that's why the wildlife agencies are working really hard with Yolo right now to get this done. As you can see from this graph, the majority of those impacts are on agricultural land. So the first graph that I showed you that showed the valley floor, that's where the majority of the conversion of habitat to urban uses is going to be. Um, and there's also a little bit of impact on grasslands, alkaline prairie, blue oak woodland, and fresh virgin wetlands. Um, this is just to remind you, it's a little slightly different version of the covered activity footprint. Um, before, you, these were all filled in gray. Now you can actually see sort of down to the parcel level where exactly the development's going to occur. So West Sac's going to occur, this is where all the impacts to habitat's going to occur. So West Sac, is going to be developing to the south. Davis has little tiny places because Davis doesn't like to grow. It requires a boat of the people to grow, so can't grow very much. So it's struggling just to get even a few of these plus in the paper. Some of these are like innovation parks. It's really hard for Davis to grow. Woodland has lots of plants. They're very excited. Um, Dunnigan is, again, a big town, which may or may not happen because I don't know how many people really want to live in Dunnigan. It's kind of far away. <laughs> and then there's lots of roads and bridges. That's what all these like uh, different yellow things are. And that's a mistake. I have no idea why that's up there. So, um, so one of the things to, that's important to note about this again, though, is how, how compact this development pattern is. If you saw a similar map, like literally when I showed this to the wild agencies the first time, it was actually sort of a funny story because they see plants from all over the state, right? So they're used to dealing with developers. And they're like, what, where's your development? I don't see it. Where is it? And I'm like, well, it's right here and right here. And they're like, oh, 
Because they're used to being all over here and all over here and in all of the, you know, all over the countryside, there's like unincorporated towns. So I literally had to take the map and be like, yeah, in here. And it's not changing that much. So that sort of increased their enthusiasm for the plan once they realized we really weren't going to be developing that much. Okay, so conservation strategy. For those of you who are interested in science and protecting species, this is the fun part. So over the course of 50 years, we will protect 33,000 additional acres for the 12 species that I showed you photos of. So um, 12,000 acres of impact, protect 33,000 acres, while the agencies are excited about that. We're getting three times the conservation that uh, we have impact. We're working with uh, four cities in the county. We're going to have local support. We're going to pick some great properties. Let's get to work once we finish this incredibly complicated and expensive plan, which is right here, and will cost $10 million by the time it's done. $10 million for this plan. It's got some appendices too, but appendices aren't nearly as much fun as the plan itself. So, but the real work, the real reason why we're all in this business is because we actually want to conserve these acres. So, um, 33,000 acres is broken down in three categories. The first is existing land. So I showed you that graph that showed that we had over 100,000 acres that were already protected. So I, as the lead negotiator for the conservancy, went to the wild agencies and said, are you kidding me? You're not going to give us any credit for 100,000 acres that's already protected? You're going to treat us like San Joaquin County that hasn't protected hardly anything and, and doesn't have our history? And they're like, oh, you've got a pretty good point. Okay, we'll give you 8,000 acres of land that's already protected that will count towards your permit. So for those 8,000 acres, we call them free permit reserve lands, we have to manage them and monitor them like we would any of our other acquisitions, but we don't have to actually spend money to purchase them, which is a huge savings for us and will also allow us to pick some really important properties that have already been protected and include them as part of our reserve system. So this is this newly protected land, so that's where really a lot of the action is. What the Conservancy is going to do, how many of you here know what a conservation easement is? Anybody know what a conservation easement is? Okay. So I'll explain it. A conservation easement, usually when people think about conservation, they think about buying a land and like, the Nature Conservancy manages it for habitat. Maybe people go duck hunting on it or you, know, you go on hikes or something like that. An easement is the purchase of the rights to develop. So there's a couple of different kinds of easements. Um, an agricultural conservation easement will purchase all of the development rights and allow you to farm um, any type of crop. A habitat easement, which is what I'm purchasing, not only purchases all the development rights, so you can't build a bridge there, you can't build houses there, um, it also prevents the conversion of that property to orchards or vineyards, because orchards and vineyards do not provide the same level of habitat to the species I care about as the um, row crops, the alfalfa, the irrigated hay, the tomatoes, the, even wheat, like all those have at some point in their um, crop life cycle some benefit to these species. So I'm going to be going out to landowners as the executive director of this agency along with my staff and asking farmers and landowners, will you sell me your right to plant orchards and vineyards or build houses? And that is what this um, acreage there is going to be, the 16,000 acres of mitigation land and the 8,231 acres of uh, conservation lands are primarily, there's a little bit of fee title acquisition in there, fee title acquisition is actually purchasing the land outright and then owning it and managing it, but majority of these will be conservation easements on those farmlands that I showed you in the beginning that cover the, the valley floor. And, and we're going to be focusing, and I'll show you in a second with the rest of the conservation strategy, on certain areas of the county for those conservation easements. 
The mitigation lands here are going to be paid for primarily by mitigation fees, which I'll cover briefly. And the conservation lands is the 8,000 acres I mentioned at the beginning that's over and above mitigation. So that's the part that gets the wildlife agencies really excited, makes the local environmental groups really excited, because they're like, this is better than what we have today. Because not only are you going to coordinate this mitigation in a way that was never done before, but you will also be conserving 8,000 more acres than you would if you didn't have the plan. And the last category is a small one. We're actually kind of hoping to avoid this because of the, what I mentioned about wetlands um, earlier. There's been such a loss of wetlands. We don't want to lose any more. But we are covering about 950 acres of impacts to wetlands. If those impacts occur, and we're going to try to avoid it, we're going to tell our cities in the county, is there any other way? Just move it a little this way. You know, do it over here, not there. Um, to the extent that they can't avoid it, like it's a flood control project in West Sacramento, then we're covering that, and then we're required to, to actually create wetlands habitat somewhere else. And I don't know if any of you landscape architecture probably have heard about how hard it can be to restore wetlands. It's expensive, people try really hard, and sometimes it works, and sometimes you're getting gone, sometimes it doesn't. So personally, I want to avoid that. There's so much great habitat in Yale County, I'd rather protect the, what we already have than have to create new habitat. But nevertheless, because we have, oops, we have a lot of flood control um, projects in the county, um, I'm a little worried that we might need to. Okay. So next slide. This is uh, this is this is it. This is exciting. It feels it's confidential, and it's not anymore. That's why it's on this map. But it was just a month ago. This is actually the land that we're going to target in the county for that 30,000 acres. So the dark green and the light green, which you can see here, 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 those are priority one and priority two lands. So since the county is so big, 650,000 acres, there's no way that we can check it all or coordinate habitat for species effectively when we only have to protect 30,000 acres if we do it all over the county. And this was a big issue with some of my local stakeholders because they were like, oh, we don't want to give up what's in the foothills. We don't want to give up, you know, what this other great habitat in parts of the county. It's very painful conversations to have for people who care about uh, natural communities in the environment in county. But we've decided to primarily focus on the valley floor, first of all, this is where all the farmland is, and on the riparian areas. So we're focusing along Pewter Creek, along Cache Creek, and the old bypass, this is where the giant garter snake is. And then we have some area in between that um, is good uh, Swainson's Hawk foraging habitat on farm fields that we'll also be focusing on. Now we have a science and technical advisory committee that is made a composed of biologists that advises us on acquisition. And we've actually already started the process because I was really worried as the executive director that I would create this wonderful plan with all these beautiful maps and then nobody would sell me an easement. And everyone would, and I wouldn't have a consulting group for very long if that happened too, because uh, I wouldn't be, I would, people would not appreciate someone who develops a plan and then does not, uh, isn't able to actually implement it. So um, we have decided to um, go out early and, and contact landowners to see if they're interested. And the good news is that a number of landowners have um, signed up and are interested in selling easements. And the reason for that is because since the cities are developing in these compact patterns there's very little likelihood that they'll be able to sell their land to developers, and so the only way to get income to their farm or ranch is to sell a conservation easement. So surprisingly, and then I would also add to that to give uh, some credit to the landowners and farmers, is that there is a lot of interest in the landowner and farmer community in Yellow County to conserve habitat. There's, it's just a mentality of Yellow that goes beyond the city limits. There's a lot of farmers and ranchers who really believe that they need to manage their land for species as well as for 
um, agriculture arrangements. Um, how long do the easement come back to the landowners? Permanent. So they, that's a great question. So they transfer with the landowner. So if the land or with the property. So if the landowner dies um, and so, or sells the property and it goes to heirs or to a new owner, then the same restrictions apply. And that person cannot sell um, an additional easement or otherwise make money on it. The value of the property actually goes down. So some landowners will sell an easement because it reduces their property value and then the property taxes go down. And for some of these landowners, they have huge properties, so that can be a pretty significant savings. But it's permanent, which is a requirement of the state and federal agencies. They do not want us purchasing temporary easements. They don't want us to even doing 30-year contracts. They're like, your impact of the habitat is permanent, so your conservation has to be permanent. So that's the rule. Yes. So uh, usually there's a holder of the easement. Yes. Can you describe that process? Yes. So um, so typically there's uh, an organization that holds the easement, and that or that um, the person who holds the easement is responsible for and monitoring compliance with the easement. So there's a, it's a piece of paper that gets filed with the Oak County Clerk Recorder, but if nobody's monitoring it, they can just ignore that they've you know sold you these rights and plant orchards and vineyards anyway. So someone's got to be looking out for, are they actually complying with the terms of the easement? So the holder of the easement, which in the conservancy's case is the Yolo Land Trust, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Land Trust, but they do a lot of ag conservation easements and we're solidifying a partnership with them to also hold habitat conservation easements. And uh, they will hold the easement and then they will annually go out to the property and look to make sure that they haven't planted trees or vineyards or you know dug anything up or done anything that's inconsistent uh, with, the, with the easement. So I don't know if you have more to add to these is the Yolo Land Trust, if they're holding a mitigation easement today, are they required to actually survey it for the animal? No, oh, that's a great question. So we, uh, they are not. So there's a difference between our requirements under the permit and what the holder of an easement will do. So we're required to monitor for the number of species on all of our lands that we hold easements on. So we will be hiring a biologist. Right now we're just three half-time staff. Eventually we'll be six full-time staff. And we'll have a biologist on staff who will be actually going out to these properties and it's actually probably the most fun job of any of them. Uh, I wouldn't want to be the executive director, that's for sure. But, um, <laughs> but sorry, the, um, the biologist will actually go out and monitor the easements and collect all that data and then report it back out to the public and to the agency. The agency, and um, what's the role of the easement holder for species Nothing. Although, you know, that's something we should probably talk about. That's actually a good comment because since we're not in implementation yet, we haven't had to deal with this particular issue. Because if they're out there anyway and they see something, you, know, you want to be reported and reported. So there might be some ability to, you know, for some efficiencies there. But um, but we haven't worked through all the details yet. So that's actually but, something to think about. But they are required to go to the property, look mm -hmm. to see if their orchards or vineyards right. weren't there before. That's right. Uh, and just enforcing that aspect. Right. So it actually can be done via Google Earth, really. Yeah, you right. Recent photographs, and you can just say, oh, yep, nothing there. And yeah, the more current stuff gets, the more you can do that, I think. But like, since it's annual, you want to make, you really want to see with your own eyes that they haven't done anything that's in violation of the easement. And so also, this gets tricky because if you have hundreds of easements that you start collecting, 
then you're required to look at these lands every year to make sure it's being uh, followed. Right. Um, where does the money come from for that? Do they have to raise their own money? You're getting ahead of my presentation. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I have some awesome charts. Okay. Coming. coming. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. I'm getting it. Okay. Plan implementation. This is a little bit what actually what Steve's talking about. And then I'll get into the cost that she's talking about. So when we're a full-fledged organization, uh, we have our board, and our board, I didn't mention before, is all elected officials. So I, um, on my board that I report to, there's two county supervisors and four city council members. And then I have an ex-officio member from UC Davis, Marge Dickinson, who works in administration here, and she comes just to make sure that we're not doing anything that UC Davis doesn't like. Um, and uh, she provides a lot of good input on my finances, too, which is stabulating. But, um, so my board will stay the same, um, elected officials from the city and the county. There'll be an executive director and then some additional staff, like the biologist I talked about. We have legal, uh, we have a significant number of consultants and contractors because we, you know, people are have individual expertise on species, like there's a special talk expert, there's a giant person expert. So we contract with biologists for specific species expertise. And then we have a lot of really boring stuff, like I talked about. We've got, we got, you know, we have real estate activities. We got a full title. We got to like negotiate with landowners. We got budget and grant administration. That's like the thing they never tell you about in school is managing a budget or grants. Not fun, uh, but a lot of power in it. Scientific oversight. That's kind of fun. That's uh, that's this group of biologists that tell us what they think, and they go out to the ranches and they meet with landowners, and they're like, "This is great habitat," or "No, it's not." That's that's kind of a fun part. GIS and database maintenance. We're completely dependent on GIS, and um, we do all of our analysis in GIS. Every time we visit a property, we pull data on what species are there. We look at what what other crops are within a five mile radius. We we have to pull all of this data from our databases and create these maps to help our scientists, the scientific oversight, really understand how this particular property fits into the larger system in Yellow County. And then public outreach. That's what I'm doing today. Public outreach. I'm outreaching. You're the public. I do a lot of this. And then administration, which is, you know, we have to do staff work for our poor bees and, you know, for ports and all these types of things. And then this is the good stuff, acquiring all the easements. Um, and then I didn't want to forget to say that, like, it, for, for us, this is a YOLO thing. It should be more prevalent through all government and all agencies, but um, unfortunately it's not. That's part of the reason why I'm back in YOLO and living in other places is because this is just a good place to work in government. But um, we really value the input of everybody, students, um, environmental groups, like people who volunteer their time and take the time to involve themselves in our plan. We take them very seriously. We respond personally, and my project manager and I, to all the comments we receive. And uh, we receive a lot of great feedback as a result. Um, and, and so that's going to be a really important part going forward, too, is that type of um, input. And so that's why I put them on our org chart, too. Most people don't put them on their org chart because they just talk about, you know, who their board members are and not members of the public. Okay, so the cost of the plan. Kind of expensive. $371 million over um, 50 years, which is a lot of money. So where are we going to get $371 million? 64% uh, of that is the fees that we're going to charge the cities, the county, and developers for their... Um, uh, for mitigating for their activities that I showed you on the map. So, developer builds a house in Sacramento or in West Sacramento on 600 acres. They're going to pay a per acre fee. Um, local funding. We've developed three partnerships with local agencies that are already doing conservation, and those local agencies will allow us to count what they spend towards our plan. And one of them is the City of Davis has an open space program. If uh, I doubt any of you own property here, but if you do, you're helping to pay for that open space program. Um, 
uh, the Cash Creek Resources Management Plan, which is gravel companies who pay the county to restore uh, habitat on Cash Creek. And then the Lower Peter Creek Coordinating Committee, some of you may have heard that there was a citizen effort in Davis to restore salmon to Peter Creek. And as a result of that, there's money that comes from the Solano County Water Agency to restore the creek. That money will count, and we're going to be coordinating with that. And then state and federal funding, uh, over 50 years, we have to secure $88 million in state and federal grants. And if any of you have ever applied for a grant, it's not a fun task, but we will have to be bringing in over $5 million a year in state and federal grants in order to make this program work. So part of what I'm doing right now, even though we're two years away from implementation, is actually lobbying the state legislature to say, put money into the budget so in 2017 when we're ready to go, there's enough grants for us to apply for. So it's a, that's a, another component that you have to worry about is making sure that the programs are there for all your conservation. And uh, the state's more interested in you know, a lot of other things other than conservation right now. So a little bit about the mitigation fees. Um, the base fee is 11,200 an acre. So if you're thinking about becoming a developer in your own county, make sure that you've got a lot of money because just outside of all your project costs to construct, if you affect habitat in your own county, you will be paying $11,200 an acre to the Yolo Habitat Conservancy so that I can um, protect habitat to make up for that habitat loss. As for comparison purposes, Yolo, because we directly grow up to cities, our land is actually pretty cheap. Um, in other areas, just across the river in Sacramento, you can pay up to $45,000 an acre, the exact same mitigation, simply because their land prices are so much higher. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, we don't want to affect wetlands um, because we don't want to have to restore them because it's really expensive. That's why these fees are really high. If you affect um, lack of streams, lakes, and lack of streams and river fee is the lakes and river impacts. Um, riparian is um, for the habitat along the creek, and then the wetlands fee is for um, affecting wetlands habitat. And we have to charge really high fees because we have to restore. So we don't want anybody to pay those fees, but if they do pay them, they're going to be big. They're going to have to pay $70,000 an acre, or yeah, $60,000 an acre. And finally, um, this is a breakdown of our costs. We're 48% of our costs are for lands that are mitigation lands. 16% um, is wetlands restoration, and 36% will be spent on land that's for conservation above mitigation. Well, that's it. Look, I have for questions then. So um, that's uh, that's an overview of habitat conservation planning in Yolo County, and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Or um, yes. I'm sorry. Can I just see that last slide one more time? Sure. The implementation cost. Yeah. Thanks. Sure. Yeah. Are you speaking about credits? You got to use credits. Are you speaking about what kind of credits you need? The, okay, so we will, well, I, we have, actually right now we are um, in the interim process, and I hope this is what you're asking, but we um, we are actually managing an interim expense and talk mitigation program, and we're encouraging landowners to put easements on their property ahead of impacts occurring, and then we're allowing them to sell credits to developers. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, a, that's an interesting process in and of itself because the landowner bears the entire cost of putting the easement on their property. And then literally this happened with the cannery, actually. Um, the cannery you know, said, hey, we need 38 credits for Swainson Soft mitigation. And I said, here's my list of three landowners who have approved mitigation receiving sites, is what we call them. And the cannery went to each one of them and said, how much for a credit? And they're like, 5,000 an acre. And then the next one's like, 
you know, 49 hundred an acre. And then they're like, hey, this guy gave me 49 hundred an acre. Will you match it? And and so the cannery ended up buying its credits by negotiating with these mitigation receiving sites. And we actually are on the fence, honestly, about whether to keep doing it um, for a number of reasons, because it's really difficult once we're in the plan process to be able, we have to run this agency, we have to monitor the species, which report to the agencies. We have to you know, work with the people who are holding our business. We have administration costs. And if we continue with that process, we're going to have to charge an administration fee in order to cover all of our costs of the conservancy. And it gets really bureaucratic and cumbersome. So we're actually not entirely sure we're going to continue with the credit process, but haven't decided yet. Anything else? Um, I was just curious about special regard and special considerations regarding like presentation and creating corridors between properties. That's actually in the law. Like, so we, we are uh, developing this plan consistent with the State Natural Community Conservation Planning Act, and that's actually one of the criteria. Steve can speak about it more eloquently than I can, but they actually require you to demonstrate that you're maintaining ecological corridors, which is part of the reason why you see us focusing on those creek corridors, because that's one way to maintain connectivity. And I think that's also why it's really important to our local environmental groups that we have a separate local conservation plan because then you can continue that connectivity into some of the foothills and areas that we're not covering in our plan. But all of those things um, are important and the ha on habitat fragmentation that's part of the reason for doing a separate coordinated approach. We can't guarantee that we're not going to um, have some hab habitat fragmentation but the, the idea is that there'll be less than if you did it the current way which is wherever they can get habitat. So um, for like the case of the cannery, they have to go and find 38 yeah. credits. Right. And so um, are there any restrictions on how fragmented those pieces can be? Do they like get three acres here, one acre here, and nine acres over there? I mean, yeah, yeah. That, so that's that so, yeah. So um, so I inherited the mitigation receiving sites that we had, and they were sort of picked as far as I can understand. Like they were good habitat, but it wasn't clear that they were the best location for habitat. And so that's when I changed the process. I said, okay, we have to have this scientific and technical advisory committee. That scientific and technical advisory committee has to create um, you know, requirements that are consistent with this plan. And so now we have minimum patch sizes. So like we're protecting acres, you know, we're not gonna protect five acres here and 10 acres here, so it has to be at least 70 acre blocks, right? And then the, the goal for the conservancy would coordinate all that mitigation to make sure that it's not fragmented. So the cannery, Purchase 38 acres in one place, but and we'll be encouraging that type of thing in the future. Sounds like it's almost time to go. I'm here um, to wrestle with it. Um, the, the, the mitigation and conservation land, um, you saw that last year, um, won't be fully purchased. I mean, that, that, those are the priority areas. They are limited by willing sellers. So, by default, um, you're not going to get a connected landscape. But, as Petraeus said, the local conservation strategy is a third approach to conservation in the county where we, if we get a lot of money donated or we get a grant, we can start to buy those intervening properties that the plan for mitigation and conservation is not getting so that we would fill in those areas over time. Uh, it's a very important component to the environmental uh, uh, groups from their point of view. So if we have a comprehensive conservation, not just focused on endangered species, but all species. Before I close, I know you all to go. I wanted to make one last pitch. Uh, the conservancy is going to be hiring an intern, at least one intern in January. 
So if anyone's interested or if your friends are interested, please contact Steve or come and grab my car um, for us. Anything in closing, Steve? No, that's it. Let's do it. Right ahead. Is the sign-up sheet?